and welcome to the Atem podcast. My name is Dorota Buskela, and this is the place to be to catch up on what you missed at the 2021 edition of the online 24 hours of Atem. So, for this 11th episode, we will cover flawless OTT viewer experience. Let's start the engines. All right. Uh, so thanks to everybody who joined um, and has been here. For those of you who just joined, just to give you a little bit of a background, this is our Attempts 24 uh, webinar. And uh, these will be 24 one-hour sessions following the sun um, as we present different topics from different uh, speakers and partners who are joining us today. Um, I will be moderating this session. My name is Luis Ramos. I am a director of engineering for North America in attempt based in Florida. And uh, we're joined by Sasan Pejan, our uh, VP of Emerging Technologies at Attem. Um, Sasan uh, interacts with numerous vendors, customers, and partners. Um, basically working on video processing and distribution technologies, introducing new products and services to the market. He's uh, representing a TEM um, at various industry associations like the SVA and the Next Gen Video Information System Alliance. Uh, joining us today as well is uh, Yuri Resnik. He is a technology fellow and head of research at Brightcove. Uh, thank you, Yuri, for joining us. Um, Yuri previously worked at uh, Real Networks, Inter Digital, and Qualcomm. He has contributed to several standards, including MPEG-4, uh, H.265, HVC, as well as products and um, domains of internet streaming and wireless media. Uh, he's currently at Brightcove joining us today. Um, I will be moderating this session for the hour that it lasts. And, um, as you'll see, the chat has been disabled for the attendees. We will instead be using the Q&A function on Zoom. So any questions that you have throughout the session or at the end will we'll take around 10 to 15 minutes to try to answer all those um, if we can. So please keep those questions there and I'll, I'll manage the time correctly so we can, we can have some time to answer your questions. Um, with that being said, I think uh, we're good to go, and uh, I'll let Sasan kick us off. Well, thank you. Thank you, Louis, both for moderating and for that introduction, and greetings to our audience wherever on the planet you are. It's good to have you with us, as Louis said. Uh, let me start with the title of this talk, uh, Flawless OTT Experience. That represents really an ideal, an idealistic objective that we are trying to strive for. It, it is certainly not meant to represent the current state of affairs, obviously. Uh, but it is uh, the destination of a journey that both Brightcoop and Atem, amongst others, have embarked on and hope to reach at some point. And <clears throat> what we'll do in this talk is uh, allow you to see some of the steps that we're taking to get us there from where we currently are. So speaking of the current state of the affairs, um, what is the customer experience and what are some of the issues that prevent uh, OTT streaming experience from being a flawless experience? Up on the screen, um, I have you know, in the top half are some of the issues that are more to do with playback and video quality issues and are kind of the uh, topics that I'm interested in we'll be talking about. 
this includes the video quality. There's still, despite all the improvements we've seen, there's still a lot of issues with you know, artifacts, blockiness, and blurriness that people experience. And uh, I myself uh, you know, watch multiple sessions per day during the pandemic, obviously, as mo most of you are. And these are some of the things that annoy me as a user. Um, sometimes I still see pauses and freezes, buffering, uh, startup time can still be annoying, um, especially if you're looking at linear OTT channels, channel change could be an issue. Um, and of course, uh, as the previous speakers in the previous uh, panel mentioned, the issue of high latency. Uh, you heard them talk about 30 to 60 seconds, which is um, you know, very typical of OTT streams. And that could be really annoying for, for sports. If you're watching sports at the same time, you're on social media with your friends and somebody sees a goal being scored, you know, 10 seconds before you and ruins the ending, of, you know, ruins it for you. Um, it could be pretty annoying. Or for example, in, uh, if you're involved in, if you're enjoying interactive um, TV shows, you know, TV shows where the audience is polled and you're supposed to you know, provide your votes or something, that kind of latency kind of ruins the experience if you think about it. Um, now, there are other uh, you know, factors that impact customer experience, which are outside the scope of my talk, but are just equally as important. And again, as a user, you know, multiple hours a day, I'm, get, you know, I'm getting the uh, feel for it myself. One is that uh, you know, you, some of these sites have really good, um, some of the services have good user interfaces, but others are pretty clunky. Uh, search and navigation runs, runs a whole gamut from really in, you know, useful to sometimes so terrible that I end up um, you know, pulling out with very few remaining strands of hair on my head. And, and then this whole issue of uh, targeted ads, it's supposed to be the holy grail of you know, these services. You know, with targeted ads, the effectiveness of the ad is now two times, three times or more than the you know, broadcast ads which weren't targeting anybody. Well, if my personal experience is any guide, um, there's a lot of annoying and irrelevant ads that are being repeated all the time. I uh, can't tell you about all these ads related to feminine hygiene that I'm getting, and I have no clue where they come from. So a lot of work to be done in those areas, but I won't personally be covering it uh, in this talk. Uh, however, what I will be covering and what I am interested in is of course the topic of video compression, um, not to go too much, into too much detail, but that's you know, attempt DNA, that's what we do for a living. Um, and it's, it's becoming in increasingly important for a simple reason that video traffic is just exploding. Um, more so and, uh, than, than predicted uh, here in 2020 because of the pandemic. Um, the slide that you're seeing, those, those numbers were forecasts before the pandemic hit. I'm pretty sure that that 2020 column is much taller than it was forecast to be. Um, it is increasing not just because of cord cutting, that's certainly a huge factor. A lot of people are you know, abandoning a satellite TV or cable TV and joining all these myriad uh, OTT services that are cropping up all the time. Uh, there's also user-generated content, you know, YouTube and Vimeo, that's all true. Um, but also with the pandemic, well, A, there's what we're doing right now, right here, uh, virtual webinars um, and the conference calls that you're all having from home every single day. Uh, kids are not going to school, and so you've got a video because of uh, you know, remote learning and so forth. And of course, our social lives, you know, I myself spend easily, easily six, seven hours every weekend, um, you know, Skyping or Zooming with friends and relatives that I would normally be seeing. So a uh, huge explosion in video, but it's not just the amount of video that's increasing. 
Um, even the video itself is not containing more information because we have things like 4K now. Uh, HD becomes is becoming ubiquitous and 4K is catching on with all the 4K TVs being sold. HDR and wide color gamut require 10 bits, so there's more content there, high frame rates for sports, a lot of VR and 360 um, video, and even screen content like this very slide that I'm sharing with you. Um, so there's a lot more information being packed in every video clip than we're, we're used to. And that all calls for you know, improved uh, video compression. And yet, and yet, what's the video compression standards dominant today uh, with all of the you know, services we're seeing, um, it's still H.264, also known as ABC, which um, is, is, is an old standard. Uh, Yuri and I were you know, talking about how old it is. Um, you know, we're, we end up dating ourselves because we were there at the beginning of this whole thing. It actually started in the late 90s and the first standard came out in 2003. Um, and uh, we've had newer standards, at least four newer standards that I've listed there. This is not an exhaustive list, but you know, HEVC um, came out in 2013 and then AV1 and now last year, a couple more standards from MPEG came out. Um, and these can bring really key benefits. You know, you can have the same video quality at much lower bit rates. Uh, you need fewer variants uh, on your ABR ladder and I'll, I'll explain why that's important. And also higher resolutions like 4K or 360 video are now becoming feasible because of these new advanced codecs. So we really need to take advantage of them um, to, to improve, uh, you know, to, to cater to the expanding amount of video that's out there. Um, this curve shows you exactly what I mean by, you know, um, taking advantage of these codecs. So every, gener every major generation, give or take, gives you a 50% uh, improvement in coding gains. So in other words, you get the same quality of half the bit rate as the previous one. So if you look at where H.264 is, we can do at least twice better with HEVC and four times better with uh, the newly released uh, VVC. Um, that, that improvement comes at a cost. And that cost is typically increased encoder complexity, you know, roughly an order of magnitude, give or take again with each generation. But that's okay because there's Moore's law. Uh, Moore's law is our friend here. It takes seven, eight, ten years to generate, you know, come up with a new standard. And during those seven, eight years, uh, Moore's law means that you know we've got an order of magnitude improvement in CPU cycles, memory, uh, and so forth and so on. So, um, you know, that's not a huge issue really on the encoding side. Um, but better video compression in and of itself uh, isn't enough. What we've got to do is smarter video compression as well. And one of the areas that you know, both our companies are proud of is this concept of content-aware encoding, uh, a topic which earned both Bright, uh, Brightcove and Atem uh, a technical Emmy uh, recently. And the concept is as follows. Uh, traditionally, with OTT streaming, we had this one size fits all approach. You know, you'd go to you know some website by Apple and says, okay, if you want to do HLS encoding, uh, here's a ladder, you know, an ABR ladder. Here are the resolutions, and here are the bit rates, and here's how many variants you got to have. And regardless of the content, you know, you got to follow these rules. Um, and if you think about it intuitively, that doesn't seem optimal. It's suboptimal. I mean, think about a sports game versus a you know talk show um, episode. Clearly, it's obvious that the sports game will have a lot more information to convey than the talk show. So why does why should they both be included the same bit rates? Uh, you can achieve the same quality for the talk show at a much lower bit rate. And even within the sports game, uh, whether it's a timeout where you know nothing's happening or 
take a game of basketball, you're waiting for somebody to throw a free throw versus next scene, a lot of action packed, a lot of movements. So even on a scene by scene basis, you should be able to adapt the content to optimize the use of your bandwidth. And that's exactly uh, what we're doing with content aware encoding and then some. So the idea is, uh, you know, you, you know, you have your typical encoder, but you incorporate this concept of encoding on not for constant bit rate, but for constant quality. Now, how you measure quality, that's been the whole big wave of video compression and video encoding, but different companies have their own method to do, to do that. And we at Attend have developed our own metric called the Attend Quality Index, which was actually the recipient of a separate Emmy Award um, the same year. But the idea is the same no matter what metric you use. Uh, you want to ensure that for every scene within every uh, clip, you are encoding at a certain quality level and let the bit rate fair, uh, fall where it may. And you, you embed that within your encoding loop. And what comes out is something that looks like what you have on the right-hand side. So on the left-hand side is your typical traditional encoding, uh, you know, uh, at given resolution, you have a flat line which represents the bit rate with variable quality. Uh, what we're doing on the right-hand side is, you know, with a variable constant quality encoding, you don't have to use the bit rate all the time at the highest level. And there's something else we're doing there that's also constant adaptive. I talked about, you know, scene changes. Traditionally, um, with traditional OTT encoding, you would fragment your content into chunks of fixed sizes, let's say 10 seconds for the sake of argument as shown on the left-hand side here. And that doesn't always make sense, especially if your scene changes happen you know, a little less than 10 seconds, you have nine second boundary or 12 second boundary. And what ends up, what you end up doing there is you end up having multiple iframes that are closely and tightly spaced. Um, and that's really you know, uh, wasteful of bandwidth. So again, with content adaptive, another aspect of content adaptive encoding is you adapt this time, not the bit rate, but the chunk size or chunk duration, I should, I should say, based on where the scene changes are. So you don't have these spurious and extra bit, um, extra iframes. So this, this is all good and fine from a theoretical basis, but what does it really mean? Um, well, we've had some really good, interesting results to show you here. Um, I picked this scene not to scare you off, but really to because it's got a lot of detail and texture and, and is really good representative of uh, what can be achieved. Um, on the left-hand side, you have the traditionally encoded constant bitrate, you know, uh, encoding, which is at five megabits per second. On the right-hand side, I've taken this image out of the content adaptive encoding, which is at almost half the bitrate. And really, it's really hard to tell the difference. Uh, you know, certainly I can't tell the difference in the quality between the two, and even on the larger screen, uh, it's, it's hard to tell. Um, to give you some more uh, feel for what that means in terms of savings, um, here's one case of Fast and Furious uh, movie at you know, interlaced 25 frames per second, where in traditional encoding, you have seven different variants, which add up to like 12.7 megabits per second total. And with content adaptive encoding, you can use that to five profiles and much lower bit rates with a 45% uh, gain. And it's it's not just the bitrate savings that's important. Think about the fact that you have fewer variants. It means that there is fewer uh, variants to be cached on your edge servers. That means less chance of cache misses and therefore improved uh, you know, experience in terms of having fewer freezes, fewer bufferings, which are typically brought along because of cache misses. Um, now in the spirit of transparency and honesty, not every case 
result of such great results. Um, in the next case, you know, you only get a 12% bit rate, but you do get fewer variants. Uh, this is a uh, episodic case diners at um, you know uh, i30, and yet another case, another movie where uh, the number of variants that you need is the same, but you have, you have that much lower bit rate, so you get the 50% gains, but not necessarily the, the fewer variants. But it's really a useful and powerful tool in, in terms of improving the quality of the uh, streaming experience. Um, something I mean earlier on, I talked about the latency being you know, 30 to sec 60 seconds or so uh, for typical. Uh, traditional OTT streaming. And that's really a problem as I mentioned before, but you can reduce it uh, greatly. And we've demonstrated this in our previous um, webinars for those of you who may have attended our uh, May and November of last year webinars with Akamai and with GeoPlayer. Uh, we, we showed you examples of how you can reduce the latency to below five seconds, maybe even three seconds and so forth end to end. And you do that with some of these new tools uh, and new technologies that have been introduced in the past couple of years. Uh, obviously, every component in your um, in your chain has to uh, speak the new lingo, uh, whether it's the encoder and the packager, the origin server, the CDN, or the player. But both HLS and Dash now have these low latency modes, if you will, to enable this lower end-to-end uh, -end, uh, latency. And the container format that's used for this purpose is the CMAF. So, at a high level, you know, just to briefly explain what that is. In traditional uh, streaming, uh, let's say you got fragments of two seconds this time, you have to wait for the encoder you know, to encode it. It takes two seconds for the encoder to encode a piece of content. So that's two seconds of latency right there, uh, you know, every chunk. And then the encoder has to pass this down to the packager. So the packager has to wait for the whole two second chunk to download. Then it can do its stuff. Then it sends the origin server and then down to the CDN and then down to the edge servers and down to the players. So every time you're waiting for a two second or four second or whatever the case might be chunk to be downloaded. And these latencies add up. That's how you get to the 30 seconds to 60 second latency end to end. Um, the new technology is says, okay, let's take each fragment as two seconds and let's fragment into what we call chunks, smaller chunks of 500 milliseconds for the purpose of this example. And now the encoder can output each little uh, chunk within the fragment at 500 millisecond intervals. Just to make a differentiation, those fragments, those two-second fragments are independently decodable, whereas these uh, smaller chunks are not. So your switching points are still at those two-second intervals. That hasn't changed. But what, we, what you can do is now that the encoder can output contents at much faster rate, at low latency. And the same thing with the packager. It gets it after 500 milliseconds, starts packaging it, and sending it down the chain to the origin server, and all the way down to the edge servers, and all the way down to the player. And this is how you can really achieve much lower, um, uh, much lower late end to end latency. Um, so that kind of, you know, those are some of the tricks and tools that we have been using the past few um, couple of years really to improve the quality of um, experience for streaming. Uh, I know that Yuri has a few more tricks up his sleeve to show you. So at this point, I'm gonna pass the baton to him. And you know, if you have any questions, as Lewis said, please post those questions to the, um, to the Q and A you know, button at your, at your end. And, Lou, uh, and uh, uh, Yuri, I'm gonna stop sharing so that you can start sharing your, your screen, that's fine with you. Uh, shall I share my screen? Okay, just a second. Uh, Unless you want to tell me next slide, next slide every time. Which... Uh, let me try and see how it will work. And uh, 
Do you see my screen now? Yeah, perfect. Fantastic. So uh, uh, in my portion of this presentation, I'll talk about uh, a couple of things. I'll uh, give a brief overview of uh, uh, solutions uh, that we uh, have to offer. And, uh, and then I'll talk a bit about uh, integrations with existing workflows and, uh, and uh, making sure that uh, video is flawless, uh, continuing the team that uh, Asasan started uh, and uh, and of course uh, in thinking of integration with uh, uh, broadcast workflows or post-processing workflow you might assume that uh, quite few of them are using Atem encoders so I will use this as a uh, kind of my ways to uh, uh, explain how our work products could work together. Now uh, a few words about Brightcov and uh, uh, this slide just shows numbers, but uh, I think they probably are representative to to talk about scale, uh, amount of traffic that we push, uh, uh, how many uh, stream concurrent streams we could reach sustainably uh, in uh, live events. And uh, this is actually a bit older numbers. It was 2019. Uh, but I, I think this suggests that uh, we're talking about something substantial. And uh, uh, the uh, streams that we are pushing uh, are reaching all devices, effectively, uh, all mobiles, uh, tablets, TVs, uh, PCs. Uh, we have players on all major uh, OTT platforms. And in fact, uh, uh, with our recent uh, uh, offering a bread of uh, beacon, we, we actually generate uh, custom apps for all these platforms. Uh, and uh, that makes uh, the deployment experience uh, much, much, much easier. Now, uh, to uh, talk specifically about uh, what uh, Brightcov products are and how are they mapped to uh, particular technology components uh, such as uh, uh, transcoders, uh, packagers, origin servers, CDNs, players, uh, combinations of those. I, I have this slide. So on the top, what I'm showing, uh, uh, typical OTT uh, delivery chain with both uh, live and uh, VOD uh, pipelines, uh, with live to what converters somewhere in between. Analytics also uh, as part of the uh, picture, and uh, bulk of it is essentially done in cloud, and, and there are contribution links from uh, live and uh, VAD sources uh, to transfer this content to cloud. And uh, what we offer as a products and solutions is shown uh, below in, in this matrix. And for example, when the Talk about Brightcov Video Cloud. What it means? It means, uh, in most basic setting, of course, is a uh, horizontal chain of uh, tools that are all packaged as uh, a very nice-looking uh, uh, Studio UI plus a set of uh, backend APIs. If you want to integrate this uh, workflow and automate it all, it's all possible. If you want to just use simple UI, it's also possible. It makes uh, whole delivery uh, super easy to use. Anyone could uh, start and uh, launch uh, VOD service uh, in a matter of minutes with uh, <clears throat> this type of platform. But 
that's video cloud in most basic form covers the uh, VOD case. Uh, Brightcove Live uh, similarly covers a live uh, case scenario. Uh, live to vote converters is an add-on to uh, live platform. And by the way, those chains are kind of different. Uh, this VOD, we of course use uh, just-in-time packagers, just-in-time DRM, and uh, uh, and uh, the reasons for this is, uh, of course, uh, fragmentations of different formats, uh, Dash, HLS, different DRMs and different devices. So most efficient way to do it in case of DRM is the just-in-time. And so when we talk about origin servers for uh, VOD case, it's, of course, uh, not simple HTTP servers. It's a custom pieces of software that uh, launch those uh, just-in-time transformations but uh, but uh, in case of live it's it of course uh, also different uh, because of the nature of the live medium and uh, of course internally uh, transcoders are also quite different now uh, some of our customers are also uh, uh, buying components of the system a la carte for example the encoder is a uh, probably oldest uh, cloud-based uh, uh, VOD transcoder out there and uh, we've been improving it. Uh, in fact, uh, this uh, CAE got Emmy Award, uh, actually a couple of them recently. Uh, uh, some uh, of our customers uh, uh, likewise are using uh, just uh, Brightcove layers and, and that's available as a, a standalone uh, component as well. Uh, but uh, more and more uh, customers are preferring to use complete system and uh, uh, Brightcove Beacon is the latest addition to the suite, and, uh, and it actually brings a complete turnkey uh, uh, package for OTT uh, services. I'll talk more about Beacon in the next few slides. But uh, also, I should mention that we have uh, vertical uh, uh, solutions of different kinds, uh, for different business segments, for example, for enterprise, uh, digital marketing, uh, live events, uh, uh, virtual live events, and so on. Uh, and then there are multiple add-ons, uh, things like uh, uh, gallery, playout, uh, uh, social, uh, SSI is an add-on. Actually, Brightcove Cloud Playout is, uh, is also an add-on, and, and, and this is uh, the most recent uh, product that we just launched. So uh, with this, uh, let me uh, talk a bit more uh, in details about uh, Brightcove Beacon, which is uh, effectively a turnkey OTT package. And uh, one thing I must mention is that it uh, it, it offers multiple, it, it offers great degree of customizations and uh, uh, it supports multiple different uh, business models. So it supports AVOD, SVOD. Of course, with AVOD, we support uh, server side ad insertions. SVOD, we support multiple subscription uh, packages, levels, and so on. And, uh, and, and we also support hybrid models, freemiums, uh, limited trials, uh, uh, upgrade from AVOD to SVOD, and so And uh, if you look more specifically, uh, this uh, uh, 
uh, offer management and uh, different tiers of packages that we offer, uh, Beacon comes with a set of uh, templates for uh, creating those tiers, and they can be easily customizable. And that includes uh, uh, not only uh, creation uh, packages and uh, diversity of pricing model based on content, it's also uh, based on uh, different subscription categories, for example, it could be for kids, it could be for seniors, it could be like uh, uh, basic silver, gold, or platinum plants. Uh, and also uh, in case of uh, freemium or uh, trials, uh, there is a ways to program uh, upsell when the trials uh, expiring and, and, and so on. And this slide gives uh, more uh, details about uh, uh, degrees of customizations that we are offering along both content and uh, subscription tiers. Uh, and of course, it comes also this uh, all sorts of uh, uh, geographic uh, control in terms of restrictions, uh, uh, especially when we're talking about premium content, uh, authentication, uh, and so on. And uh, uh, what also uh, it's worth mentioning is that uh, Beacon also comes with uh, user management uh, that's built in and in, in every player and app. Uh, effectively, what it means is that you could enable uh, customers to have a family type of uh, access to the service with multiple uh, users and each user having their own profile, their own uh, watch history, own preferences, uh, and so on. So, uh, Pretty much uh, like Netflix, uh, just uh, as an example, and uh, and you could create your own if if so desired, and uh, and also it comes with uh, electronic program guide and a set of associated APIs and UIs uh, uh, to facilitate presentation of uh, live content, so, so the experience of end users. Uh, uh, watching uh, OTT delivered live content uh, in, in, in Beacon is uh, pretty much same as uh, you would have uh, this uh, watching live normal TV. So, uh, and uh, last but not least, uh, if we think about deploying uh, OTT service and thinking that, gosh, there is like a, a whole uh, a set of all those app stores and each uh, one is competing with another in terms of how painful it is uh, to get uh, your app approved uh, through it. Uh, uh, we do have uh, a good solution for this. So, uh, we offer uh, so-called app enablement package, uh, which effectively uh, means that Brightcove will take care of it. We've been deploying these apps on a regular basis uh, for a very large number of customers and uh, we can submit those apps very efficiently and uh, go through all the subsequent steps with each app store to make sure the app is accepted and effectively uh, we even have an app generator you you just customize uh, look and feel of uh, your application put logos uh, uh, graphics uh, and choose colors and, and other parameters and uh, uh, type text and, uh, and it will just generate it and we will submit it for you and make sure it's uh, accepted. So, so that uh, limits the deployment time literally to, to, uh, to weeks. 
And uh, with this being uh, the uh, overview of uh, several products that we offer, uh, of course, on a very surface level and uh, being more specifically, let me now talk about uh, integrations with uh, 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 existing workflows and uh, some things that uh, uh, could be done there smarter and uh, and that's where uh, we'll be talking about again now uh, diagrams. So on the top, I'm showing uh, the uh, very uh, like simplified, of course, uh, workflow of a broadcast system. And um, I'm just showing uh, uh, one uh, chain of it with master control distribution being uh, supposedly on-prem. Uh, uh, unit and of course there could be multiple distributors and multiple chains of this, but uh, with local stations and so on. So here I'm just showing one or two to, to suggest an example, uh, and of course it, it has inputs from remote and field production, which are live inputs. It could be um, pre-recorded content coming from uh, studios, post-production distributors, and so on. There is a playout. Uh, uh, there are broadcasting coders. Uh, uh, since we're talking about uh, on-prems and, of course, all interfaces between playout and broadcasting coders, all ASDI. And uh, and then, of course, uh, it's typical on broadcast, there is a multiplexer creating a, a multi-program uh, transport stream, which, of course, goes to distribution. Uh, now, at the bottom, I'm, sh I'm showing a cloud platform, and uh, it's the same blocks that I was showing earlier in our system. Uh, but uh, there are some differences. For example, if we're talking about uh, uh, streams for broadcast distributions, you can send those uh, transport streams direct to cloud. And uh, for a very simple reason, it's the same reason why you don't send the transport stream over the internet. The uh, links are lossy and uh, the formats are different. And, and uh, broadcast, we're talking about uh, interlace and uh, OTT, we're talking mostly progressive. Uh, again, to do it all right, uh, the uh, most straightforward way to uh, send uh, data to cloud is to, to have an extra contribution and to, to configure it properly. Of course, uh, there are a few other aspects that needs to be taken care of. Uh, the link between uh, the uh, workflow and uh, cloud platform should be of uh, good quality as the contribution protocol should be thoughtfully chosen. And uh, there should be uh, uh, some considerations about latency also uh, uh, put in place to understand if uh, the objective will be met or not. For example, if we're talking about ultra low latency systems where you want to achieve like three to five seconds end to end uh, delivery, uh, uh, throwing uh, signal uh, through traditional uh, ingest uh, by means of uh, extra contribution protocols uh, and uh, having extra transcoders, extra transmaxers, extra uh, other operations that might happen in the chain, all of them will add latency. And uh, so if the objective is to get uh, uh, three to five seconds, perhaps uh, the uh, more straightforward way is to, to have a bypass and, and so, uh, just configure your contribution encoder to 
produce uh, low latency HLS or low latency CMOF uh, at the beginning and then send it to origin. Of course, uh, low latency HLS and low latency CMOF uh, is not gonna give you full featured service. And uh, for many devices that uh, don't have low latency players, you will still need to, to have traditional uh, uh, LHLS, CMAF, and perhaps uh, smooth for some platform if it uh, requires DRM. Uh, and of course, uh, if the idea is to have also live to word and uh, uh, content management uh, for the solar clouds, and you know, you may want to consider uh, bi-directional uh, approach here, but in the end, uh, this is a set of options and set of uh, considerations that uh, need to be uh, uh, looked at. Now, uh, I'll offer a few more final grain details about uh, what uh, could be done and should be done to make sure that uh, integration uh, with cloud-based platform is done right and uh, we achieve highest possible quality, which is our common goal. And uh, I'm sure it, uh, it is something that all of our customers will appreciate. So uh, one thing that uh, should be noted is that uh, quality of contributions link uh, super important. Uh, AWS offers service called Direct Connect. Uh, Azure offers uh, Express. Uh, uh, I'm sure other platforms uh, have a similar uh, sort of services. And what it really means is that uh, there is a, a, a capability, it's a capability to have a direct uh, dedicated fiber uh, established connecting uh, closest uh, AWS data center to, to your on-prem. Uh, facility and uh, that uh, direct fiber will guarantee best possible uh, quality of service that uh, will be achieved. If, if it's uh, feasible, uh, we certainly advise, and, and you're sending lots of data, certainly advise to consider this as an option. Of course, otherwise, uh, uh, the choice should be made based on, uh, you know, other options available. Of course, the higher tier is the ISP, the, uh, better as the chances that uh, that connection will be higher quality. Now, uh, if uh, you're sending, if you're operating uh, high profile, high importance events, of course, uh, uh, and uh, it's not direct connects, and of course, another option to consider is to use multiple contribution links and uh, multiple contribution encoders. Why? Because, well, uh, every software, uh, every hardware is not perfect. And, and if you want to minimize chances of uh, anything go going wrong, having a redundant uh, uh, version of same piece of equipment could minimize the chances. And, and uh, similarly, this <laughs> contribution links. And of course, uh, Brightcove Live as a platform has a capability to accept uh, a redundant input and do uh, a switch over in case of, of any problems as a contribution. And that actually redundancy also works uh, in a way that it uh, controls additional uh, points of failure internally. Internally in cloud, we have uh, like dual uh, pipelines. So it's, it, it offers a greater degree of protection end to end. Now, uh, so I was talking about contribution links. Similarly on uh, contribution encoders, of course, uh, choosing high quality encoders 
paramount and, and configuring a contribution encoder uh, should also be done uh, with uh, some thought. For example, it is uh, uh, highly advisable to make sure that the quality at which uh, intermediate so-called mezzanine data uh, produced is, uh, is much higher than final qualities that uh, will be targeted for delivery from OTT system. This is just at least 3DB and they'll have a separate slide to explain why 3DB PSNR is a minimum uh, that uh, should be practically required. Then uh, uh, what we also suggested that a contribution encoder is to take care of uh, signal processing operations. As you will know in broadcast, if you're sending, for example, SD content, it will be in different color format. It will be in, uh, with different uh, sample aspect ratio. It will have, uh, of course, it will be interlaced or uh, telescent if it was originally progressive. So uh, taking care of those uh, conversions at uh, contribution and uh, will guarantee not only that the result will be of higher quality. Why? Because uh, it starts with higher quality content. So all the signal processing operations can be done with higher quality. It also uh, may ensure that you need uh, lower bandwidth and contribution. Like if your original codec, for example, was MPEG-2 and you transcode now to H.264, of course, you will save uh, quite a bit. And, and if you convert from uh, interlace to progressive and uh, denoise it, or deblock it in the process. Uh, all, all those uh, tricks allow uh, content to be encoded more efficiently. And of course, uh, Susan would agree with me, I hope, uh, on, on those uh, topics. Uh, uh, between video experts, it's all known art. Uh, uh, and, and then, of course, uh, the a contribution encoder should be configured to use a suitable contribution protocol to cloud. Please don't send a raw TS. Uh, uh, there are much better choices available. Uh, even RTP plus SMPTE 2021 FACs is a much better choice. It, it offers a certain degree of protection against lost packet. And if links is not perfect, they, they will be lost. SRT is a more recent addition. RIST is even more recent addition. Uh, which is uh, highly promising. Uh, uh, we support both. Zixi uh, uh, is another one. So uh, out of, uh, so there is a whole chain of uh, uh, contribution protocols that just uh, much, much better than uh, raw TS that uh, could be sent. And of course, please don't even mention word RTMP in this context. That's, uh, you know, for user-generated content might still be necessity, but when we talk about uh, integration with professional workflows, that's, that's really not appropriate. Now, uh, especially if you have content with metadata, you know, the program system information and so on. Now, uh, this uh, lossy links, of course, uh, uh, if you can't get direct connect links are lossy, what also is advisable is to configure encoders to produce uh, streams that are uh, kind of uh, least uh, uh, susceptible to propagation of errors as they occur. And, and uh, what uh, uh, techniques that are typically used is user shorter GOP structures, for example, half a second, and, and also uh, use sliced encoding of IDR frames. These are the same techniques that have been used in broadcast uh, over the air for years. So most contribution encoders have them available, and, and they help in this application as well. 
And of course, uh, once streams are uh, reaching uh, to cloud platforms, there are some uh, uh, basic uh, things that should be done here as well. So, you know, of course, the connection should be established ahead of time and tested. You know, as the, uh, contribution links, uh, we hope they work, but it's always good to make sure that uh, you receive uh, uh, all metadata in, in proper order. You have all closed captions in all languages, all, all audio tracks. Uh, Obviously, is, is good, uh, quality is good. Uh, now, whenever possible, <laughs> a cloud platform should also be configured to use what we call context-aware encoding, which is uh, similar to what uh, the content and aware encoding by Atom is, and uh, Sasan just did a fantastic job explaining how it works. And uh, uh, naturally, <laughs> uh, uh, once uh, uh, data starts flowing, uh, uh, use analytics to, to monitor it. Analytics is a fantastic uh, component of the system. Uh, now, uh, uh, this is uh, 3db that I was mentioning in the uh, previous slide. Why do you want to, to add 3db to a contribution link to, to make sure that quality is good? Well, it follows from simple mathematics. It's a two-stage transcoding system with first encoder, second encoder. And if you think about uh, quality that uh, is uh, measured at contribution encoder uh, and uh, and uh, distribution encoder, it's measured only at that segment. Uh, and uh, what we care about in the end is the quality end-to-end. -end. And the question becomes, can we say anything about quality end-to-end -end if we know quality levels measured at contribution encoder and the distribution encoder? Turns out we can. And uh, the tool for this is uh, basic triangle inequality. It holds for mean square, why? Because it's a form of norm. And if it holds for mean square error, we could, of course, translate mean square error in PSNR domain and becomes this formula. And then if we assume that distribution encoder is adding as, at least as much as noise as the contribution encoder, which is typically in practice, then it all boils down to this uh, simple formula that shows that we actually need 3db more, and, and that's actually in the uh, best case. So, so if uh, both encoders are adding uh, 3db, uh, then end-to-end uh, -end quality could be matched. If contribution encoder adding is even more than 3db, then the distribution encoder could be pushed more aggressively and uh, operate closer to the end-to-end -end target, and, and, and this way we could achieve uh, best uh, efficiency of the system. Now, uh, this is the last slide in my presentation. It kind of talks about a more futuristic look at the evolution of where broadcast workflow may move this uh, moving more functionality in cloud effectively and, and particularly moving in cloud and just and cloud layout. So once this happens, then the need for this uh, intermediary contribution encoder going from broadcast workflow to cloud disappears. And if it disappears, of course, the quality of the system could be much higher. And the delays could be much higher. <clears throat> there is no need to do any bypasses and so on. It could be all done nicely in cloud. And, and of course, <clears throat> to enable this type of system, uh, what is needed is a high quality cloud layout. And, uh, 
but moving more in cloud, of course, it could save uh, cost, it could save operational cost, make system more feature proof, lots of benefits. With this, I uh, uh, hope this was interesting and uh, thank you very much. And uh, I'll pass control back to our moderator and uh, see if we have any questions. <clears throat> All right, thank you, Yuri and Sasan. It was a great presentation. Uh, so I do have a couple of questions. I'll try to go through them as quickly as I can and uh, I'll let either of you answer, but I think I can direct them I think I can direct them to each of you based on the question itself. Um, so one of the ones I have here, I guess for Sasan uh, is regarding um, video complexity. So this question says, won't the higher complexity of newer video compressions standards impact uh, the battery life of smartphones and tablets that are viewing on? Yeah, so I mentioned uh, that in my slides that Encoder complexity you know, typically goes up by an order of magnitude between generations. The good news is that decoder complexity, which is really what concerns us when it comes to consuming a video on these um, uh, mobile devices, decoder complexity goes up by a much smaller factor. For example, between <clears throat> the most recent um, standard VVC that came out and the previous one, HEVC, it's about you know, one and a half times more complexity, maximum twice the complexity. Um, the other aspect of this is yes, indeed, I mean, at, at some point, higher complexity does mean lower battery life, but the good news is that the, these devices are intelligent enough to adapt themselves, you know, uh, for example, if you're watching a, um, if you're watching a movie on a handheld device, like a smartphone with a four-inch screen, there is no need to download the 4K version of the stream, even if you have the bandwidth, even if it's available, uh, you can adapt, uh, you know, the, you know, the the variant that you're watching because 4k for a foreign screen is a total waste of time um so yeah i mean uh with smarter device management and smarter choices and devices that that smaller addition of complexity in the in the, the decoders can be uh, hopefully handled um, i don't know if yuri if you want to add anything to that or your experience well you you covered it uh, perfectly you know naturally uh, you know, uh, newer codecs, more complex, and uh, of course, sending 4K to smartphones is a, is a waste. I think uh, for most screens, uh, you know, 720p and mobile is, uh, is is probably as high as you would want to go. Maybe only as tablets and uh, HDR tablets is where you would consider sending more. But okay. Uh, thanks for that, Sasan and Yuri. So I have another one here. I think it's more for Yuri, actually. Um, the question is, how well can dynamic ad insertion be accommodated in a low latency workflow? Well, this is a fantastic question. And, and the truth of the matter is that uh, low latency uh, formats just came in in a matter of last couple of years and uh, industry is still uh, uh, figuring out uh, how to uh, best practices for how to do ad insertions for this kind of thing. Uh, These formats are so new that uh, we don't even uh, know for sure at this point how to do safe uh, switching between multiple streams for low latency. If you see demos of low latency streams, uh, 
on uh, the web in most of cases is uh, just single single stream uh, uh, examples and uh, this uh, uh, switching it, 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 it's a challenge and uh, of course there is much work uh, going on right now on uh, addressing this and, and uh, I think <clears throat> add insertions uh, it, it will still be uh, some time for uh, best practices to be put together and uh, um, and, uh, and then uh, follow them in a consistent manner across uh, different vendors. Okay. And there's another one here actually on low latency um, asking how client behavior change in the case of low latency streaming. I guess this is more for versus on, on the live side. Sure, and I think, I think we probably both can uh, address it as well. So yes, uh, you know, most, all of the intelligence for switching between variants uh, really is, resides on, on the client side. The client has to estimate the, uh, the bandwidth. It has to decide, you know, how much it wants to buffer up content before it starts playback. And, and uh, you know, it's, it has to make those decisions. And with low latency streaming, now with these chunks, you're kind of, um, you know, you're leaving yourself with less margin. Um, if you want to reduce the latency, that means smaller buffers. It also impacts how you're doing bandwidth estimation because now you're doing these bandwidth estimations with these smaller chunks. So those algorithms most certainly have to be, uh, to be updated and, uh, you know, improved uh, to take full advantage of, of uh, low latency streaming. Um, but Yuri probably would have more to add on the on the player side of things than I do. Yeah, certainly, you know, <clears throat> there's a low latency uh, that is uh, now uh, active uh, research going on on how to improve players and how to uh, have state-of-the-art uh, algorithms for bandwidth estimation and for uh, conducting reliable switches. In fact, uh, you know, uh, uh, last year and this year, ACM MMSYS conference is hosting uh, a competition and, uh, and uh, like special sessions and awards for uh, this category of technologies. Uh, and uh, and uh, last year, we've seen some very interesting uh, algorithms proposed. I'm sure this year will be uh, quite a few as well. And uh, if you uh, like uh, follow the field, there are several uh, uh, player implementations for low latency that are available, but they're still evolving. Uh, there is uh, still uh, quite a few improvements that are being made. And uh, so the sort of things that uh, it's a dynamic field, we will see uh, many additional improvements <laughs> done specifically for low latency. Of course, uh, between Atam and us, we work jointly on this. We use Atam's generated uh, streams as one of the reference streams that we use in our players to test system and by the way, test switching because Atam is one of very few encoding vendors that could generate streams that uh, along with us, of course, that have multiple streams. Uh, for low latency, but it, it is actually a, a rich domain. Okay. Uh, those are all the questions that I see here, and we're just about uh, coming to the top of the hour. Um, 
I think we can, uh, any closing remarks that you want to add, Sasan or Yuri? Well, it's been uh, a pleasure. Go ahead, Yuri. It's been a pleasure and thank you very much for the invitation and, uh, you know, uh, it, it seems very successful event and uh, looking forward if uh, anyone uh, interested in learning more, please uh, feel free to reach out or take a look at our products. Yeah, I'll add the same. I mean, we just whetted your appetite with some nuggets of information, but really there's so much more to talk about here and feel free to reach out to us. Also, a special thank you to Yuri. It's it's right now 4 a.m. where he is, so we really appreciate him, uh, you know, getting up in the middle of the night to, to do this for us. So thank you, Yuri, and for being a good sport here. My, my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. Now, we are at the end of the 11th podcast. If you want to find out more, you can go to the atem.com website or follow us on LinkedIn. Next time, we will cover... 5G broadcast when OTA meets OTT. Don't miss out!